Gospel, and this is part 7. As we saw last week, uh, we were in John 3, and we were looking at Jesus sharing with the teacher of Israel, remember back to that, about being born from above, and we're following on from that today. But when do we see that happening? In the resurrection, right? We're going to see it again, that that is when that uh, event occurs. The event of us being born from above enables us to enter into the kingdom. And we're going to see that. And we saw him showing Nicodemus, didn't we? That this being born from above does happen at that particular time, which was clearly depicted in Ezekiel 36 and 37, and we went into that. Now remember that every other reference to this being born from above, this being born from above, has to fit in with what the author and finisher of our faith depicted in John 3. There's no other record that's going to supersede that in terms of the place that that is going to happen in. Now this series is all about what? The gospel, isn't it? The gospel. And we can't forget that, what the gospel is all about. Remember when we looked at Jesus Christ, again the author and finisher of our faith, defining what the gospel actually is. Yeah, And that's the good news, isn't it? That's what gospel means. It means the good news. What good news? The good news of the future event. His coming earthly kingdom, his coming earthly reign, when he turns up, is when that turns up. Yeah? And we've got to be so clear on that. Now, we read a verse last week, which I want to read again, as it throws so much needed light on what the context of John is all about. The resurrection. That's what John 3 is talking about. And guess what? Remember that verse we looked at? John 3.16? So John 3.16 is in the context of who Jesus Christ was talking to and what he was talking to them about, which was the resurrection. And we saw it doesn't happen now, does it? It doesn't happen in this present time. And remember Nicodemus, he was focused on time. Do you remember that? He was focused on time. He wasn't focused on place. Jesus is saying, you have to be born from above to see this place. In the same verse, he said, to see the kingdom. That's what he was talking about. Yeah? Because Jesus was focused on an adverb of place, kingdom, place. Yeah? Nicodemus, he was in the here and now, and he was focused and changed it to an adverb of time. When I am old, yeah, remember when we looked at that? When I am old, how can I be born from above? We saw that. So let's go back to John 3 now. I'm going to read a few verses here I want to touch on before we get into this week's sharing. But John 3, 5, Jesus answered, this is where we were last week, so you know the context, we don't need to go over that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, remember we went back to Ezekiel, to see where we can find the sequence of water, Spirit, Kingdom, and we saw this in Ezekiel, the only place, 36, 37, we saw that. He cannot enter the Kingdom of God. Now, this is a verse I want to focus on a little bit today. Six, that which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Which is born from above, isn't it? We saw that Greek word, anathen, is clearly that is a mistranslation by the translators to, to say again. Because again, they are putting it into an adverb of place rather than an adverb Sorry, an adverb of time they were putting it into, rather than an adverb of place. Now, I want us to look at another great section of Scripture that's talking about the exact same subject. Yeah, The exact same subject that Jesus is talking about here in John 3, and that is the first resurrection. It's the first resurrection. And this next section, again, 
adds further clarification to us as to what John 3 is talking about. What are we doing when we move away from the immediate context of John 3? We're checking out the remoter context, aren't we? We're checking out where the same subject is being dealt with elsewhere in the scripture. But it's important to understand it's on the same subject. It's the resurrection. The first resurrection is where we're going to go and look at in another section of scripture. Now, there's two essential things we've got to understand regarding context. And we've started to see over the last few months and years the importance of context, right? One is that there's a context which is immediate, isn't it? That's where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been in the immediate context, listening to what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. We went into John chapter 2 immediate again and read through and understood what all that whole section is about. That's so important that we do that. And that should be the first thing we do, yeah? Whenever we're reading the scripture, is read the immediate context, understand that. But the other is really important as well. It's remoter context. It's where the, the same subject has been dealt with somewhere else in scripture. It can add so much light and understanding for us when we understand that remoter context as well as the immediate. Now, I quoted E.W. Bulger last week, and I want to briefly quote him again on these two specifics. The nearer context or immediate, as some people call it, and also the remoter context, right? And he defines the nearer context as being, by this, I'm quoting him now, by this we mean what we may find and read on the same page, or opening, or at the most on the pages or in the chapters near to it, okay? So that's the definition of the immediate or nearer context. B is the remoter context. I think this is in your notes. Remoter context I'm quoting him here. By the remoter context, we mean that which is separated from it by some chapters at least. Or even by other books of scripture. Yeah? That is the definition of remoter context. So we're going now to look at the remoter context on the same subject of John 3. Yeah? Which is what? Resurrection. (laughs) Resurrection is the whole subject that Jesus is dealing with, with Nicodemus. Yeah, all the way through John 3 there. And when is that? In the resurrection. It's in the event of the coming kingdom. When, he, when we are born from above in order to enter into that kingdom. So we've got to keep it in that context. So the section I want to read is actually 1 Corinthians 15. Does that bring back any memories? 1 Corinthians 15, because we went through that chapter verse by verse at one point. A long time ago. Now, we're going to be reading about the exact same event. Did you hear that? The exact same event. This is not a different event. Okay, This is not a different event. It's the exact same resurrection. It's the first resurrection that the Apostle Paul received revelation about. Right. So the Apostle Paul here is dealing with the first resurrection as mentioned in Daniel 12. Yeah, And it's important for us to understand that. That we go into this section and this is going to build on... right what Jesus dealt with. And it's also, we're going to see, it's going to build on what Daniel dealt with many, many years before, right? Now, we have to be aware that this is progressive revelation, yeah, for want of a better term, which was given to Paul. When God is dealing with the exact same event that we've been seeing, which is the resurrection, God goes on to reveal additional information on the same event to the Apostle Paul, right, many years later than when Daniel lived and when Jesus lived. Now, it's important to realize this is the exact same event. I don't want anyone getting this confused with another event. 
It's not a different resurrection. <laughs> yeah? It's the exact same resurrection. This is the same resurrection Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John 3. So we've got to go into it with that understanding. Right? Yet when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, the focus, right, we saw, the focus was on the redeemed of Israel, wasn't it? It was on the redeemed of Israel being raised in that resurrection. That's why we went back to Ezekiel 36, 37. And guess who Nicodemus was? The teacher of Israel. Yeah, it gives us an idea of what the focus was at that particular time. So Paul here, the Apostle Paul, he adds additional details which were not disclosed by Daniel. So exciting. About the same event. Yeah? Because God never revealed these to Daniel. And Paul states by revelation that it will include all those dead or alive who belong to Christ. We're going to see that in a minute. Now, what's the distinction there? Dead or alive? Yeah? Daniel only dealt with the dead. We're going to see that as we go on here. Daniel only dealt with the dead. He had no revelation about those who would be alive at the time when this resurrection would happen. Did you hear that? Daniel didn't get any revelation as to those who were living. He only dealt with those who were dead. Yeah, and we're going to see that. We've got to understand who does that include? Who, who it was included in the dead? Yeah, and we're going to see it clearly defined for us right here in the scriptures. It's those who belong to Christ. Yeah, and you think to yourself, well, Christ wasn't back in the time of Daniel. Yeah, but they were the redeemed. They were redeemed by God and there were those who did belong to Christ. We're going to see that because they believed in the coming kingdom. They believed in the inheritance in that coming kingdom, which was going to be brought about by the Messiah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because we often so think in our own minds that belonging to Christ means that you've raised your hand in the meeting. Yeah, uh, You've, quote, given your heart to Jesus. Yeah. You've invited Jesus into your heart. You hear, these are all familiar phrases in so many circles that we hear and see today. Have you ever found the definition in the scripture of that? It's not there. Still waiting. Still holding my breath for that call. Yeah? They are not defined in scripture. It's not seen in scripture. Yeah? And that, by the way, should be the only place we go to for definitions. Yeah? The scripture. Not what you've been taught. Not what I've been taught but the definition of Scripture. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go back to the Scripture and define some terms that are going to really shake up our minds when we see them today. Yeah. So this verse we're focusing on is John 3, 6, wasn't it? That which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Yeah. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. We're going to start in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, that is the description of those who are dead. God uses that metaphorical term of falling asleep as being those who are dead. Yeah? For, now keep, keep your eyes on the page, keep your eyes in your notes. For as by a man came what? Death. Yeah? Death came via a man. By a man came also the resurrection of the dead. Yeah? He doesn't say the resurrection of the living in heaven. Does he? They're dead. They're falling asleep. They're in the grave. Yeah? But do you notice here that God uses two terms? Death and resurrection. In contrast to each other. Yeah? They're in contrast to each other. There's no middle state. You're not a little bit dead. 
Yeah? In an immortal soul in heaven, waiting for the resurrection to happen. In some spirit form, as what's taught in the majority of Christianity today. You're not. You're dead. You've fallen asleep. You've gone back to dust. And you are awaiting, and I will be awaiting, if it doesn't come back in my lifetime, the resurrection from the dead. Yeah? Not from heaven. Because <laughs> that's what people teach. Oh, you're way up there in your immortal soul, and the resurrection happened. You know, you, of course, you're with Jesus and God and all the angels watching all of us down here. And then at some other point in the future, there's a resurrection, and you have to go back then and pick up your body. How ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Because we just read it. When you're dead, you're dead. You're falling asleep and you're awaiting the resurrection. Right? So God clearly states, you're either dead or you become alive in a future event of the resurrection. Did you get the message? Yeah? Did you get, is that clear enough? Yeah? Because remember the Western movies you, we all, we've all watched. Yeah? You see the poster up on the wall. Dead or alive. <laughs> Wanted. Dead or alive. It's no different for us. There's two options. Yeah? You're either dead or you're alive. And it's fantastic. Because the church has got to quit preaching. Yeah? That there's life immediately after death. There isn't. And the quicker the church starts focusing on the central importance of life being in the resurrection, the quicker people will start to understand the scripture. Yeah? And their eyes be opened up to it. Yeah? Now, verse 22. For as in Adam, all what? Die. <laughs> Don't need to go into that. Yeah? All die. Yeah. So also, now watch this. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, I, I need to need, read the next verse because we've got to read that all. I'm going to come back to it. All in the context for which it's used. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Who's the all? You see, it's all with distinction. That is not the whole world who has died, is it? <laughs> so all the whole world are not being raised in Daniel dwell too. It's only his redeemed. Why do we know that? Because it's just told us here in 1 Corinthians 15 who the all are getting raised in Daniel 12 too. They're those who belong to Christ. Not the whole Gentile world. It's not every man and his dog getting up in Daniel 12 too. It's those who belong to Christ. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Well, we have to allow the scripture to define what that means. It's not you and I. It's not your church or denomination deciding, oh yeah, well when someone does this, and when someone goes through this process, or they go through this course, or they go through this class, then we'll invite them into our church. They're the redeemed. No. <laughs> no. The scriptures have got to define that. Not you and I. Not our denomination. Not our old belief system. Yeah. Because we've been seeing in John 3, for many of us, those in John 3, we defined as being those who belong to Christ. Those who are born from above. And we're going to see, in order to see the kingdom, in order to inherit the kingdom, we have to be redeemed. But it's not someone doing a one-off action that we say they're born again now. Yeah? And therefore, they belong to Christ. We're going to see that because we've got to go back to what the scriptures say. Yeah? Maybe tough to hear. Maybe tough for us to unlearn this stuff. But we've got to do it. We've got to come back to what the scriptures say. It's no tougher for you than it is for me. 
Yeah? We often say, well, those who belong to Christ are those who love Jesus. Yeah? That's a common definition of those who, you know, it's those who love Jesus. It's those who come to church, it's those who endeavor to read the scripture, endeavor to walk their lives that way. Do you know what the definition of loving Jesus is? Again, it's not you putting your hand up in a meeting in a one-off event. Yeah, you say you love Jesus. Look at John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and does what? Keeps them. Keeps them. He it is who loves me. Boy, how simple could that be? So if you're someone who loves Jesus, if I'm someone who loves Jesus, I'm going to be someone who has the commandments of God and I keep them. I keep them. And listen, listen to the latter part of that verse. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Is that conditional? Absolutely. What's a conditional on? The first part of the verse. Yeah. Normally we put a, norm, a huge big period right after me, and we don't go on to read that. But what if we don't keep the commandments? Yeah. What if we don't? Is he still loving us? Not according to that verse. It's those who have the commandments and it's those who keep them are those who he loves. Yeah? So me babbling on about how much I love Jesus, you babbling on about how much you love Jesus, and you do not keep the commandments, the word clearly tells us you're not and I am not someone who loves Jesus. We're going to see that as we go on today. So we're going to see that this enta- what this entails over the f- next few weeks. I was hoping to get into striving through the narrow gate today, but I'm striving to get there. <laughs> yeah? So we will get there. Yeah? But remember what I said before, that this may be a rough ride. Yeah? Maybe a rough ride. You can strap on your seatbelt, possibly bring your sick bag, because <laughs> it's going to get tougher. To understand what Jesus said there when he said, those are the ones who, keep my, who have my commandments and who... Keep them. Those are the ones I love. Yeah. So, like we touched on last week, the many imagine, yeah, and that's what it is, by the way, it's imagination, that this refers to those who have said they love Jesus, yeah, and who believes there, that there's going to be a future resurrection. Many people believe that's someone who belongs to Christ. And we're going to see in the scripture that it's not true. Because we should be asking us, is that the definition of scripture? Maybe what we hear Maybe what you hear in the God channel, maybe what you hear in all the other channels. But is that how God in the scriptures defines it? No, it isn't. It isn't the definition of scripture. We just saw it. Jesus said, those who are those who keep my, who have my commandments and who keep them. And we're going to see what that entails over the weeks to come. So we're going to allow the scriptures then to define what the term belonging to Christ is all about, don't we? Not us superimposing our definition on top of it. In other words, it's not you and I raising our hands in the meeting yeah, and saying, oh yeah, I love Jesus. That's a one-time event. I walk out and now I can live my life any way I want because i got my get, get free from hell card, as people put it. I'm now okay with God. That's not what the scriptures teach. We shouldn't be teaching it in the church either. So we've got to watch now what the context is in communicating about those who belong to Christ. 
Because guess what? God defines those who belong to Christ. That's strange. He actually defines it. So our definition should be his definition. Get it? We've got to get that to that stage that the definitions of Scripture become our definitions. That sounds so easy to do, but it can be really challenging at times. So any other definition must line up with God's definition. Did you hear that? Because many of us will magnify our definition or our church theology or our church definition of those who belong to Christ above what we're going to read today. We can't afford to do that. Why? Because we'll be wrong. (laughs) Simple as that. Because God's always right. And when we understand the scriptures correctly, we'll always understand these definitions correctly. So as I said earlier, any other definition must line up with God's definition. Yeah? Well, wouldn't you agree with that? It's got to line up with what God said. Yeah? Not what we've necessarily been taught. Right? Because most definitions don't line up with what we're going to read. Yeah? There's a surprise. So get ready for a bit of discomfort. Okay? As we read through, through this. Right? Galatians 5. Because Galatians 5, this section of Galatians, is going to define for us those who belong to Christ. Galatians 5.1 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now just watch, I've put them in different colors here for you, just so you see it's been used in contrast. Spirit and flesh have been used in contrast constantly. Yeah? Now don't forget why we're getting into this. Yeah? We're getting into it because of that verse in John that said flesh was flesh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We are going to see that being born of the spirit is a future event in the resurrection. And we will have a constant battle with our flesh. Why? Because that's what we're born of right now. So, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if, and it's a huge if. It's pretty small in your, in your notes, but it's huge. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we're going to get into what it means, as we get into a section of Peter, what it means to be led by the Spirit as well. Yeah. Anyway, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now listen up. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And this is, by the way, before you start superimposing this on everybody that's outside of the church, this is addressed to the church. (laughs) Yeah? Just to nail that on the head before we get into everybody pointing the finger at everybody else outside. (laughs) Yeah? So, verse, uh, where are we? 20. Idolatry. Yeah? Sorcery. Enmity. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Things what? Like (coughs) these. Things that are like these. I warn you as I warned you before. This is not the first time they get the warning. Yeah? That those who do such things, are you listening? Yeah? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Do you see the double warning there? I think it's triple warning actually. That those who do such things, anyone, remember this is addressed to the church, anyone who does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, but my church says, I don't care what your church says. I don't care what anybody else says outside of the scripture itself. What does the scripture say? What does God reveal in the scripture? That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. So anyone who's living in a, in a way that's depicted in this section of scripture, we know where they're going to end up, don't we? Not inheriting the kingdom of God to come onto earth. Yeah? And we're going to see it more and more as the weeks go on. What it's going to take for us to get into that kingdom. Yeah? So let me ask you, will you inherit into God's kingdom here on earth if you're a jealous person? Now, most would say, oh, hold on, that's just my personality. No. You will not inherit into the kingdom if you're a jealous person. What about having sex outside of marriage? We read that, didn't we? Sexual immorality. And defined in scripture, sex is for the marriage. Yeah. So what if somebody's having sex outside of marriage? Oh, hold on, we're just having a trial run. You know, we're just going to check it out, make sure we're compatible before we get married. They will not inherit the kingdom. Why do we know that? Because the scriptures clearly tell us that those who practice sexual immorality will not inherit into the kingdom. Like you put whatever label you want on the person doing it. Oh yeah, but they're born again, quote, born again Christian. Yeah? And we've already defined that in John 3. Yeah? So that happens in the resurrection. It doesn't happen today. So that definition that the church has that a person is born again today is wrong. Now, is that easy to accept? Absolutely not. Are you going to change the whole Christian world now that they're going to stop defining people as that? No, you're not. And neither am I. Right? So what about someone who has fits of anger? Oh, you know, I was just made that way. My father was that way. And I'm that way as well. Yeah, well, you ain't going to inherit the kingdom. According to the scripture. Yeah, so you better get into whatever you have to get into to change that. Because they won't. They may think they are, and we're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. People coming to Jesus thinking they're going to inherit the kingdom, and they don't inherit it. They don't inherit it. But they thought they were going to inherit it. They thought they had done what they needed to do, but they were wrong. We're rubbish over to them every minute of the day. And the thing is, we have got to make sure that when we look in the mirror every morning, that we're not one of them. And that can be such a deceit in all of our lives, we're going to see it. There's a deceit focusing on the redeemed who think, who think they're doing enough to make it. And Jesus defines those as few. And you see it when he does define it to the few, that the many are standing there saying, hold on a minute. We're the redeemed. We endeavor to walk. Yeah, well, you didn't come the way you were supposed to come. I don't even know you. We're going to see it in the weeks to come. Because you know this. Jesus is not interested in your theology. <laughs> and or mine. Yeah? He's interested in us. What we saw earlier in John. Getting the commandments and keeping them. So, so key. And so, so simple. But not easy to do at times in all of our lives. Right? 
So let's keep reading here. First word here in verse 22. Look at that. But! And what does that do? It's such in contrast that which we just read, the sexual immorality and all the other stuff that I don't want to repeat, yeah, of people who will not inherit the kingdom. But then he says in verse 22, Oh, go, oh, wake up, guys! But! In contrast to all that stuff, if you do all that stuff, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. Hold on. Listen up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, remember the fruits of anger we saw? Hey guys, we can, we can control all that. Yeah? With the help of God, we can control all that stuff that we read. We can control, we can make decisions in light of the scripture, and we can change. Yeah? Let's keep reading. Against such things there is no law. And, got it? Conjunction. Yeah? Tying it together. And though, hold on, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Isn't that fantastic? God defines for us exactly who those people who belong to Christ are. We read it in John. He said, it's those who keep, who have my commandments and they keep them. Those are the ones I love. Yeah? There's change involved there, guys. It's not sticking your hand up in a meeting for a one-off event that you think now you're okay with God. Yeah? So right here are those who belong to Christ. So back in 1 Corinthians 15, whatever verse that was, where he said, first fruits of Christ, those who belong, you should put a circle there. <laughs> yeah? And you should stick in Galatians, yeah? This verse in Galatians 23, and say, that is the definition according to Scripture. Yeah? But do you see there's a whole pile of stuff for us to do? We've got to change. You can't keep living the same life not following the commandments, not doing the stuff that we just read about, the sexual immorality, the lying, the cursing, the fits of anger, uh, the deceit, all that stuff, and think you're going to make it. You're going to be cast into outer darkness, according to Scripture. You're going to be excluded. Because Daniel 12.2 tells us that, yeah, it's all those who belong to Christ that are getting raised and are getting gathered of those who are alive. Yeah, And Daniel is dealing with with the... with those who belong. But there's two outcomes. Isn't there? For the same, very same people. Got to be so, so serious about this. So the traits here, in verse 22 onwards, are set in contrast to the traits of those who will not inherit into the kingdom. Yeah? So, do you think we just read some clues to inheriting into the kingdom? Absolutely. We've got to put on these traits that we read in verse 22 and 23, yeah, in order to inherit into the kingdom. And I wouldn't stake my life on any other definition other than that. Yeah? You get somebody coming along with a different definition, you bet your alarm bells better start going off. And you better take them to this section of scripture. Hold on a minute. Those who inherit have got to depict these traits. And then in verse 25 it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, 
envying one another. Yeah? Do you see there's change involved? Yeah? There's change in the way we have in our attitudes and how we rub shoulders with our brothers and sisters. All of that stuff has got to focus on the traits of Scripture. Yeah? And that's going to take massive change for us. It is. There's no shortcut to this. So do you see what the gospel is demanding then? Yeah? What's the gospel again? It's the coming hope of that future inheritance in the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's never forget that. That is the definition as defined by Christ himself. Right? But it's demanding change in all of our lives. So we're not going to inherit the kingdom without change. Do you see that? You're kidding yourself on. You're going to be one of these people that come up to Jesus that he depicted in the parables that's saying, hold on, yeah, I've done all this, done all that, yeah, but you didn't come the way I expected you to come. I said you had to agonize. I said you had to change. And you didn't. Yeah. Now I want to quote you something here. A friend of mine wrote to me in an email this week. And I think it speaks so loudly to us. Yeah. So listen up yeah, to this now. And I trust we all take this to heart. And I'm quoting him here. So this is what he wrote to me. While we need to know the truth. Now this, you've got to really take this stuff to heart. Yeah. While we need to know the truth, we will not be judged by what we know, but by what we do. Does that tie into that version, John, that we saw Jesus talking about the commandments? Of course it does. And he goes on to say, And Jesus does not grade on a curve. <laughs> yeah? Arguments such as, Oh, I'm better now than I used to be. Or, Oh, I've come a long way. are not going to cut it with Jesus Christ in that day. For example, see John 5.24. Sorry, see Galatians 5.24, which is just where we were. Yeah? Where Paul says that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is not a suggestion. <laughs> yeah? He goes on to say, While we are blessed to know the truth, we must challenge ourselves to live out the truth in repentance and faith. If we know the truth, but don't live accordingly, how are we any different from those that don't know the truth at all? The only difference is that we will be much more accountable. So, as I've often said, don't run for the microphone. <laughs> Make sure that when you teach something, it's absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, if I was you, I'd press rewind and listen to that again. Now, I know we're on live, but you can go back and <laughs> re-listen to it at some stage. Yeah. And we're going to be seeing really clearly that accountability that he mentions here over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at that accountability. Yeah? The accountability that we have of knowing the truth is huge. Are you starting to feel any discomfort yet? <laughs> I am. Yeah? And I start to think of the accountability, of, of how accountable we are, of knowing the scriptures. You should feel a little bit of discomfort. And the more you get to know, the larger that discomfort becomes. Yeah. Now, I want to deal with another section in relation to this same subject. This is another section here that's often used to substantiate that we, quote, get born again. 
And we saw that there's no such term in Scripture as born again in, the, in John because it's the word anathem, born from above. Yeah? And we, we saw that last week that Jesus taught Nicodemus that this being born from above is something that has to happen to enter into the kingdom. Yeah? And secondly, we saw that it wasn't something new, was it? Often referred to as the new birth. It's nothing new about it. We were in Ezekiel 36, 37, ancient Hebrew scriptures. Yeah? And we saw that it was, you know, that's, that's ancient history if you haven't figured that out. Yeah? Now, the subtitle today is Resurrection to Life. Yeah? All the subjects we're covering in this series are in relation to the gospel. Remember, we talk, talked about the gospel. It's that coming future inheritance in the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ, which can only be available when we are born from above in the resurrection. Yeah? So I want to go to another section in the scriptures, which is so often misunderstood and taught as of this quote, new birth, yeah, which some translations actually depicted as new birth, which we saw last week. It's nothing new at all. Yeah? Now, what we started to see in John last week is the essential importance of context, isn't it? It's the context that determines what the meaning is and to whom these sections of scripture are talking about and what time period it's referring to. All of these things are clarified so often in the context. And we'll see that as we read here in 1 Peter, that is also true. I want to read just a, a, one sentence from E.W. Bulger on something we read last week actually, but we probably didn't pick up on it. And it's really relevant to this section of 1 Peter. Peter. It's essential to our understanding of the code words to find out why they are where we find them. Now we're going where? First Peter. So let's go to First Peter chapter 1. Now the verse we're heading for is verse 23, yeah, which is so often quoted out of context and quoted in relation to what we read about in John 3 to substantiate that you get born again immediately. So let's see and pull this verse right out of context right now to see how it sounds, right? And we'll endeavor to understand it by reading it in context as we move on here. Because it's that context that allows the definition to become clear as to what it's actually talking about, right? Verse 23. For you have been what? Born again. Now do you notice, I put the Greek word in there. I don't have the time to pronounce it. It's such a long word. But do you see, it's a different word than anything. Do you see that? That's an immediate clue for us. And I put the tense, it's in present, passive, participle. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now do you see what's going on, and do you hear what's going on in so many of our minds that tell us when we read that verse? We're probably thinking, oh yeah, that's the same born again we read about in John 3. No, it's not. First of all, it's a different word. And secondly, John 3 was translated wrongly. It should have been born from above. Yeah, saw that. This is a completely different word. And we're going to see a very different context here as well as we move in here into this section. But we have to read this section in its own context. Now, important question here. Is this section talking about the same subject that we were on in John 3? That's kind of important, isn't it? Because we cannot superimpose the same subject onto this section just because we have the translators translating the words identically. Yeah, we've got to get a little bit deeper than that. And last week we saw the error in translation of the Greek words anathem, didn't we? The translators made the error of translating the word anathem in relation to an adverb of time and not place. And they translated it how? Again, instead of above. 
Yeah? So important we understand. So, what so often happens now, because of that error in translation in the section here in John, this section here, uh, uh, the error in translation in John, this section here in First Peter is often defined and deemed to be talking about the exact same section. Yeah? And the exact same subject. When it's not, we're going to see it. Now remember, we saw last week that John is clearly talking about the resurrection, which is a future event, didn't we? And that in order to enter into the kingdom, a person would have to be born from above in order to enter into the kingdom when it arrives. Have you noticed it hasn't turned up yet? So we don't need to be, quote, born again or born from above immediately because we're not entering into the kingdom. That happens at the resurrection. So despite what we saw Jesus telling us last week in John 3, our minds still have a tendency to think in terms of time. To think in terms of time. That this birth happens now and not in the resurrection and not in the gathering of the church. Those who are alive. Why is that? Because the whole weight of Christendom is teaching it. And for many of us we spent years and decades under that teaching. And now it's having to take a whole paradigm shift for us to go back to what the scriptures actually say. Because have you ever heard the term born again Christian? Absolutely. That's the most common term to define somebody who, quote, believes in Jesus Christ. Yeah? So if that's true, then a person does not get born from above in the resurrection at all. They've already got it. Haven't they? It's already happened. Or it happens, maybe it happens to them twice. Happens to them when they, quote, give their heart to Jesus and, quote, in the resurrection. You know, it, it just... The words, the scriptures fall apart when we start to go down these type of routes, right? Because we know it's when he returns, which we know is not what is what Jesus Christ taught Nicodemus. Yeah. Now I've highlighted some terms here that we need to be aware of. Now, when we read verse 23, that first thing that screams out at us is that it's different words, isn't it? Different words being employed for born again. Yeah that we read in the Gospel of John last week. Again, it's not anything, is it? It's a different word altogether. And the reason for that is God is communicating something very different here. Right? God is communicating something different. That should speak so loudly to us that it's not the same words employed. So it's not the exact same subject. So let's go to First Peter 1 and read some of the context. First Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I've highlighted some of these terms. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth. There's that word, right? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, new birth is really interesting. It's in the active tense. It's not in the past tense. Yeah? This is not something that transpired in the past. It's active. The active voice represents the subject as acting. So it's something that's going on. Isn't it? It's something that... That's happening now. The passive voice represents the subject as acted upon. You see, there's a big difference there. 
we have to understand that this new birth is something that's going on as we walk in that walk in Christ. Yeah. So let, let's just pause for a minute. Because what so often happens when the many read that is they superimpose their own meaning on that reference. Yeah? And we've got to watch ourselves so we don't do that. But we saw that it's the context that's going to clarify the meaning. Yeah? Not my theology, not anyone else's theology. But just watch now the struggle that many will have understanding this section. Only by the context. <laughs> yeah? Only by the context. And that's what I want us to do here. Because we've got to clear our minds of what we've already been taught and allow the context of Scripture to determine the meaning. Yeah, that's a challenge for all of us to do today. So this term, new birth, here has to be understood metaphorically. Yeah? It's a figure of speech. We're going to see that as we get through this. Have you ever said something like this? Oh, you know, this, I had a shower this morning. I feel like a new person. No, you didn't actually mean that, did you? Yeah. You didn't have a shower and you end up being a new person. But that's the way you felt. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you go for a massage, yeah, and you say something like, oh, you know, I feel like I have a new, new lease of life after that. But you don't actually have a new lease of life, do you? You're still X amount of years old, exactly the same age, yeah, but that's the way you feel, yeah. And we're going to see that this new birth that is referred to in First Peter here is a reference to this metaphorical language that tells, that's going to show us in the context exactly what it means. Because we don't mean these words literally, do we? <laughs> we're going to see this as we go into First Peter. If we take some of these words literally that we're going to read in First Peter, we're in real trouble. You're going to see that when it refers to babies. Now, Many are reading into these sections, again, superimposing theology on top of it, right? So keep your eyes open now for the metaphors in here, yeah? God using metaphors via Peter in this section of Scripture. Look at this, verse 24. And guess what? This is the verse after. We just, verse 23, yeah? For all people are like grass. Do you feel like a blade of grass? No, but we don't take that literally, do we? It's like. It's a metaphor. It's telling us we're like grass because grass does this. Yeah? And this is how grass acts. <laughs> yeah? Or this is the impact of nature on grass and that's why your life is like grass. Yeah? It has a totally different meaning in, in, in Vancouver, by the way, as many of you realize. Yeah? So all people, that should be all people like grass, <laughs> not are like grass. <laughs> Thank you. But all people are what? Like grass. All their glory is what? Like the flowers of the field. You see, it's a metaphorical language. God is using metaphors here to depict and emphasize certain truths. Yeah? So, because all people aren't grass, are they? And your glory isn't like the flower of the field, but it's like it. It's metaphorical language. Yeah? And we're going to see that. Because let's move into 1 Peter 2 1 here, so we can see it again. Because this whole section has got metaphorical language in it that we've got to understand and understand the context of verse 23 of chapter 1 in that metaphorical sense. Right? Verse 1. Therefore, not rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. It's a little bit of change there from a lot of us. Verse 2. Like! Yeah, like newborn babies. Oh, hold on. What, you mean I have to get a diaper on now? No. That's not what he's saying. 
Do you remember Jesus in the Gospels where he said, you've got to become, he pulled a child in among them. He said, you've got to become like this child. Or do you think they all started dressing down into children's clothes then? No, he was, sitting, he was talking about the nature of that child, just like here. We're to be like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk. Are you starting to see the metaphorical language here that God's using in 1 Peter to describe and bring emphasis to how we are to be. Yeah? How we're to live, how we're to act, but not literally. We're not what good to go about sounding like a baby craving milk. It's like, it's metaphorical. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And look at verse 4, another one. As you come to him, the living stone. What, you mean Jesus is, is a living boulder? You mean he, he's got the texture of stone? No. It's metaphorical. It's, it's bringing emphasis to the truth of who he is and what he is. Yeah? So we've got to understand a lot of scripture uses metaphorical language to bring emphasis to it. Yeah? Particularly in the parables. Because Jesus isn't actually talking about a living stone, is he? It's, it's, it's depicting himself, it's depicting him as that stone, yeah? that cornerstone. Now, none of us actually think that, do we? We don't think God wants us to be acting like babies and drinking milk. Yeah? But we miss the emphasis in these sections of that metaphorical language. Because we don't think that. Absolutely don't think that. Because we understand these metaphors are being used to bring emphasis to us. To paint a picture. In our minds, we do it in language all the time. And we've seen it. That this, these actions are going to lead us to change. They're going to lead us to a holier life. Back to chapter 1, verse... Let's go to verse 4. And it says there, And into an inheritance... Right? Because he's talked about this new birth. He's talked about the hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into... An inheritance, because what is that, you know, what's the gospel all about? It's about the inheritance. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Right? That doesn't mean we're going to heaven. It's kept for us. In God's bank, because we know that this, is going to, this inheritance is going to be lived out right here on earth. Right? Who through faith are shielded by God's power until, when's it turning up? Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's when it all happens. In the resurrection. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's in the present tense. Continuous action in the present. It's not a past event. It's something that we continue to receive as we walk in faith and change. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. And let's rattle through the next few verses here. 
I put the emphasis in there, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time focusing on, on these em- emphasized sections, right? Let's read it. Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Keep your, keep your mind on the kingdom. Keep your mind on the inheritance. Keep your mind on when this is going to turn up. After the resurrection. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that, that have now been told by you by those things who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to see these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. What a great term. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. When do we get it? When Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges every man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Wow, fantastic. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. No different for us. Our glorification is in the resurrection. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. We may come back to that. Such a key verse. For, for you have been born again. Yeah? Present tense. Not past tense. This is going on, right? In the present. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So we see from this section that we have been born anew. Right? We've been born anew. Does that mean literally? Does it mean it literally? Of course it doesn't mean it literally. Yet we're to have a what? A changed life. Our lives are to change. That's the newness of life that we're to walk into, having come to the realization of the inheritance, having come to the realization that we are going to have to change to receive our inheritance. So clear in Scripture. We read it earlier. The changes that have got to be brought about in all of our lives to inherit into that kingdom. It's not changing your life for a day. (laughs) Yeah? Because you met Jesus. It's continual. We're born anew into the continual striving into that narrow gate to receive our inheritance in our future kingdom. It's going to our high priest for forgiveness. And then not going back to our life of sin again. After it. Which is what so many use it for. And we're going to see next week that that will not wear it with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we touched on it earlier, but we'll see it verse by verse next week. When we see that it, what it means to follow the narrow path towards that narrow gate. 
Jesus Christ demands so much of us to make it through that narrow gate. He really does. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us, didn't he? He said we'd have to agonize to enter into that gate. So if it's easy for you, that might be a clue that you're not bringing about the change in your your life that you need to bring about. Because it will be agony if he told the truth and he sure did. And that should be all of our goal, shouldn't it? To be one of the few entering in through that narrow gate, having agonized, having lived that life of agony, of change, because that's ultimately what that agony is depicting to us in the scripture. Yeah, we saw it earlier. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, its passions and desires. It's not a one-off action. It's a continual birth anew, focusing on that narrow gate, focusing on our heads in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to take. Whether we like it or not, yeah, that's what it's going to take. And we have to realize how few are even asking the questions of what it's going to take. Yeah. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your word today. Thank you for the scriptures, Father, that you've given us that are true and accurate. I thank you, Father, for that we can continue to delve into them and you open the eyes of our understanding as we continue to do that. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.